You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. So, very good day to everybody. It's the 25th of January, 2022. So our weather today is not very good, in fact it has been a bit on the colder side the last couple of days, Uh, we've got rain, we've got cloud, the mountains are covered at the moment and all in all it's not going to be the best of days but it is that time of the year so we we have to expect it. Let's get in the car, go around about uh, an hour going towards Benidorm, I should be able to speak with Neil. Neil, good morning to you, what's your weather like and how are you? Morning, Vince. It was lovely this morning. It was sunny. I went for a walk and halfway around the clouds come in and then a breeze kicked up, so it went a bit chilly. But it, it's still cloudy, but the sun's just trying to break through here at the moment. But it, you're not going to be sunbathing, trust me. OK, well, look, this morning what we'll do is um, I'll maybe come back to the today's paper a little bit later because obviously it doesn't look good at the moment. Um, it appears to me that uh, this has been bubbling for a long time. And while we've all been talking about Djokovic and um, things that are like Adele in the newspapers to just keep us all uh, occupied and talking rubbish to each other, um, the, the, the serious business is beginning to look very, very uh, menacing. Uh, so we'll come to that a little bit later because people have probably um, not particularly wanted to hear that. I'm looking at the president of the Association of School and College Leaders. His name, Pepe Desaio, uh, told The Times. This is a nationwide issue. And research published last year found that only one in five 11-year-olds at secondary schools uh, may be, but they weren't able to read to the expected standard. And the UK is 14th in international league tables for reading, according to PISA tests, which evaluates the reading of 15-year-olds in 70 countries. OK, is, is that anything that people should be worried about, do you think? Well, I'd be worried if it, if, it were my, if it were one of my kids that hadn't been learned to read and write. You know, I mean, that's, that's what life's all about, isn't it? Reading, writing and arithmetic, you know what I mean? Well, I'd be I'd be a bit worried about it, yeah. I mean, as a teacher, yes, I would say you should be uh, worried about it. But but as somebody who is obviously looking at what's going on in the world today, um, it really would seem to be that people spend far more times on the telephones, um, looking at things like um, you know Snapchat, TikTok. Um, these social media pr- platforms, which are nonsensical, and obviously um, it means that uh, all the kids are a bit occupied and sort of just doing things rather than be educated and be aware of what's happening in the world today. I, I mean, I think it's it's yeah. part and parcel of this great plan we're living through. Yeah, it's it's one of them, isn't it? Now you don't need a teacher to to, to tell you the answer. They just flick on the phone and, and answer it. You know, where we had to learn it remember it and then when it came to the test that we had we had to write it out you know and and give it out that way well we're going to know it's just jeeves or ask whatever uh, what she called that woman alexa or somebody yeah well we look we're not actually learning about it you're just learning the answer we're we're looking a little bit uh, later about uh sort of the higher levels but i'm thinking they're talking about 15 year olds now, these days, yeah. I don't see evidence, great evidence of kids going around with books. Um, they do seem to be spending more time doing silly things. And maybe it's always been this way, but maybe it's just that um, we're more aware of it because of the fact that, you know, TikTok, for example. Uh, you, you know, I, I've got um, one of my grandchildren who, who really is an intelligent lad. And um, he's, you know, very serious in many ways. But he'll spend hours looking at these videos, which are just 
bit of fun. Yeah, bit of light relief, but you know, not all day and every day. Do us a favour. Exactly. Okay. Well, look. Uh, Related to the same kind of issue, a head teacher has scrapped rules banning long or bleached hair, afros or man buns, and says pu- pupils no longer have to wear a blazer and tie and has urged other schools to rethink their uniform policies. The students at All Boys Verulam School in St Albans still have to dress smartly but no longer are required to wear a blazer and a tie. In the past, students could have sent um, uh, been sent home from school in Hertfordshire if their hair was extreme in style, colour or length. But Julie Richardson has relaxed hair and dress codes policies at the school since she took over as its first female head teacher last September. She said the rules are outdated and do not fit with modern ideas on dress as well as unfairly targeting students of colour. I really don't understand how those type of rules would unfairly target students of colour. That doesn't make sense, does it? Not really, no. I don't know if she gets that that bright idea. I mean, we, we had a shirt tie and a blazer and grey slacks or, you know, whatever. Um, it's like, I mean, now, so people that are going for interview, we, we always went suited and booted, didn't we? You know, yeah. now... Are they all just going to turn up in T-shirts, trainers, tracksuits? I don't know. Well, that's... You know, I mean, I, I, when I go out at weekends, because I worked in overalls all week, when I went out weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I were always suited and booted. And that was just, you know, that's just my my thing because that was the only time, really, that you, you got dressed up, you know, unless you're going to parties and stuff like that. You know, what if you're um... going in a restaurant or, or anywhere, you know, I were always... What I, what I would say were smartly dressed. That's it. What age did you leave your secondary school? Well, <laughs> because of my birthday, twenty fifth of August, I was actually allowed to to leave. But the the girl the girl who when we were in juniors, we were a mixed school, and then we it were lads and girls school. She was born on first of September, and she had to stay on another year. So I I were actually fourteen. But I couldn't get me, uh, uh, you know, me, me thingy to work until I was actually 15. So they had to put me on a special course in, uh, at the time, I was going to be a joiner for Gerrards, which is from Gerrards now. And uh, they put me on a college course and then inside work. So I was all right, but I actually left school at 14. 14? Blimey. That, that was quite yeah. early, wasn't it? Um, yeah, you- well... Th- it, it, with the way it landed, you, some of them, if they were born early in the year, could leave at Easter, and then the others left, you know, in summer holidays. So, because my birthday was twenty fifth of August, I were allowed to leave in that in that thing, even though first of September, you know, it, it, we're back at school again, like you know. Yeah. Now, now, for example, um, when I passed the eleven plus at the obviously the age of eleven. Um, then I had to have a stu- school uniform. We didn't when we were juniors. I think we had a school jumper or something. I don't remember uniform yeah. anyway. But then, yeah, when we were in juniors, it were yeah, you could you could go you know in whatever you know you know reasonable you know you couldn't just come in a vest and pair of shorts or anything you know just like a shirt or a, a, a jumper in winter and and shorts and. Shoes, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking, funnily enough, in the studio here, I've got a picture of uh, my primary school, and um, I'm just looking that we used to have grey flannels, so uh, little grey shorts and probably a little jumper. That was about right. And then when we went to the... When we went to the secondary school, then um, we had to have a blue blazer and a blue and yellow tie... And we had to have a, a school cap. Now, I used to hate wearing the cap. And most of the lads didn't like wearing the cap. But they were very keen on you wearing these things. And I suppose, if you think about it, you know, um, at the time, it wasn't that long after the war. And, you know, some parents couldn't afford all these things that you know, the school was saying you have to have. And so yeah. it, it was quite a sacrifice for our parents to get you... Um, even like a new pair of trousers, because you know what it's like with kids. 
you, you give any young lad yeah. um, a new pair of trousers and within half an hour he's probably got a rip in it you know so um exactly yeah playing out playing out of no well we were same uh but we didn't have to wear a cap um but when when you got home the minute you got in in the house you had to take them all off go and put them out hang them all up you're not going playing football in them no chance yeah no scuffing your shoes no no ripping your trousers you get your playing out stuff on and that were it what about homework did you have to do homework yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, I'm I mean, trying. I didn't pass me eleven. I didn't. I didn't pass me eleven plus. But that actually did me a favour because I were only hundred yards from our school, yeah. from where our house was. So <laughs> if I'd have gone to, if I'd have gone to Wardley Grammar School or you know Eccles Grammar School, I'd have been miles away. You know, which is what happened to me. I mean, I was. Uh... Ooh, I must have been at least an hour cycling to school, and if I didn't go on the bus, I mean, uh, then if I did go by bus, it would have been, again, an hour and a half, probably, probably an hour traveller time. So that's an hour, two hours a day travelling. And um, then, yeah. you know, when we went to, say, games, um, we, we had a half day when it was a games day, so we'd have to walk up to the games field, which, again, was another... Ooh, it must have been about an hour's walk. Uh, so by the time you add that into an hour travelling either way, you've got three hours a day just travelling, which is a lot, a lot of travelling time, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, as I say, I was lucky. I was 100 yards from school and I was 100 yards from Swinton's rugby ground, Swinton Lions rugby ground. Well, they, well, it used to be called Destructor. If you remember, they took everything to be burned, didn't they? They used to call it the destructor. The bin men used to drop it off and this guy had burn everything. But when they when they decided that they were building houses further there, Swinton Lions put some money in to so that they, they, they built us a foot you know, football, rugby pitch, cricket pitch, you know, all that, right outside the school front gates, just across the road and straight onto it. So we were all right with that. But as I say, it, uh, it, if I'd have had to travel to Eccles, or it, it could have Eccles Grammar, it, it could have took me hours. It's, you know. it's strange this. As we're talking, I can't remember the there was the bin men would come round. I do know that, but I can't remember how it actually worked. I think probably we put the bin out in the empty until uh, when I would be. No, a, did, did, no, they used to used to have a big leather jacket pad on, and they'd get one bin on one shoulder and another bin on the other and walk to the bin and then just chip it in and then fetch it back and put it inside your gate. Yeah, that's right. I no, you, you, no, you can't even leave lid open half an inch, otherwise they won't check it and the plastic. Yeah. You know, yeah, they were big, I, I, heavy bins then because they had all the ashes in then, didn't they, as well, if you remember. So they had to be metal so it wouldn't, wouldn't melt. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, remembering those times, remember the school uniforms and looking at things that are written in the papers. Uh, a lot of stuff about kids in the papers. Let's go to the next one. Just hang on, Vince. Yeah, you know when you ring me? Yep. Your photograph comes up on my phone. And you're in your school uniform. Yes, I am, aren't I? That's so right. I'm, <laughs> yes, you've got long sleeve white shirt on, your grey flannels, and a tank top, we call them tank tops, no sleeves in. That's right. Right, and a, and a shirt and tie up. When you ring me, your picture comes up as that with your hair combed over on one side. <laughs> a, there you go. That's a bit appropriate for against what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, okay, wall, yeah. let's get the next one. Stand by. Happy, happy days. <laughs> well, they were happy days. Um, look, yeah, we yeah. weren't we weren't talking about things like this next one. Transgender University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, 22, was back in the pool on Saturday, where she continued to beat fellow swimmers, leaving them in her wake. Competing during an NCAA college swimming meet with Harvard University in Boston, Massachusetts, obviously. The news is from America, but it's in the uh, European papers, which is why I looked at this one, because we get stuff like this that comes along probably a few years later. Thomas won the women's 100 metres and women's 200 metres freestyle races, although the margins were far narrower than in previous races she won in 2021. She won her 100 metre race in, anyway, the Times thought, but 
the, the, the thing is, of course, people are not very happy with the fact that a transgender competes against women. Now, you know, <laughs> where do you see it? Exactly. I mean, look, it's a complete and utter nonsense. Right, you can't have a male, born male, yeah, uh, you know, but body structure's all different, everything about it. We're, we're probably stronger, you know, because of the way we, we're just built uh, as, as women. So, you, you know, I mean, what's literally I would call a man competing against a woman swimming. It's not happening. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you might have bits chopped off and all these hormones or whatever and this, that and the other, but hang on a minute. That's not fair to anybody that, you know, that's just a normal swimmer and they chuck a man in the middle of it. You know, it, uh, it really gets on my no up my nose, that does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do, do, you, do you, you see, I see this quite clearly. It's part of a big thing, which I will tell people probably till the day I die, that when I went and read the Communist Party manifesto, they were writing in 1848 that if you want to beat capitalism, which is at the moment being done, um, then you want to really get in the family and mess about with the family. Now, I think this is part of the same thing, because quite frankly, if you've got uh, people um, who uh, are, are sort of, you know, not from the same sex, then there is a difference. You can see it quite clearly. I mean, you only have to watch the, the women's football show that comes after the men's football show. Uh, there's some great lady players. They really do play good football. But the intensity, obviously, with most of the players, won't be the same as the intensity you see with the males. I don't think that's an unfair yeah. comment. Although, you know, the minute I make it, I would imagine there's lots of people would jump on it and say, oh, no, you can't say that. Well, we can say that because we see it with our eyes, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It's, as I say, it's just ridiculous. You know, if, if, you, if you're born a male then all your body structure's a male. You know what I mean? You just can't. It's like that, that weightlifter, you know, but we're, we're a man, and then he wants to go there. Well, he, he could pick all the, all the records he wants, but <laughs> women want equality, so, so do men. So men play against men, and women play against women. So when you get a transgender, you're going to have to have a transgender sport just for them. Do you know what I mean? Whichever way you, you, you want to put it, whether a woman changing to a man or a man changing to a woman, you've got to have that as a separate entity altogether because them women are never going to be able to compete, you know, as good as, as men if, if they're all doing the same training. I, know? I would imagine that ultimately the, um, say, the the um, Olympic Games that instead of two weeks it'll probably take about three months because they'll have yeah. sort of events for all these different uh, types of genders I think they they reckon that that, that you can actually find a hundred different types I mean uh, I don't know about you I normally can find three um, you know male or female or then you know you take your choice well no maybe four um, but I mean I'm struggling after four I think, you know, you could categorise anything up to there. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Well, I agree with everything you're saying there. As I say, it's men competing against women, 99.99% of the time, they'll win, men. So it's not fair on the women's sport. It's just not fair. I mean, if it was fair and everybody wants to mix in, let's... You know, men's football against the women's football. I think the women's football games are all right for, for all the women, and they do very well. Yeah, no, because I, men's has been going a lot because men have been going a lot longer, and there's more. You know, there's a lot more men that played football than you know when women did. Women didn't years ago. They, they did have a team. I remember that. I've seen the film on it. But but it's it's entirely different. Now you've half a chance of. of you know, a, a women's team putting up a good show against a top man's team, you know. But I still think that, that the men would come out on top, you know, yeah. because of the length it's been going longer and longer. But So that's why they've got women's FA, they've got women's World Cups, they've got women's European Championships. So they're competing against their own. 
And that's what they want. Well, you, you can't mean, just. It's like saying, well, you, you can play, you can play. Uh, we'll, we'll have a transgender team, but the women will have to play with only one one foot, you know, one boot on or something like that. You know what I mean? It, it's a nonsense. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we see the same on that one. Let's go to uh, our next point of view. Okay, so we started talking about this a minute or two ago, and it's university students. They're in uproar over plans to return to traditional in-person exams this year because it will require them to memorise large quantities of information. Several institutions plan to move away from the open book, online exams put in place during the pandemic, and bring back uh, timed, handwritten papers in exam halls. But undergraduates are upset because they won't be able to bring in books, consult new notes or use Google. Now, um, picked up a, um, something by Jimbo in a Sunny Scunny. So it's Scunthorpe. As a mature student, I took a postgrad de- degree a few years ago. I was appalled that by the end of it, I'd acquired absolutely no additional knowledge whatsoever and wasn't actually required to learn anything. The assessment criteria were based solely on coursework and scholarly processes, which was a far cry from the revision exam-based assessments of my undergraduate degree in the 1980s, where I actually had to learn and memorise information that I still use within my workplace to this day. What a total waste of time that postgraduate degree turned out to be. No wonder young adults are now leaving university with little to no useful knowledge that will serve them for the rest of their working lives. Roy, what do you think of that one? I agree entirely with that. That's what I'm saying. If you're doing these on, online ones, you know, you're in on your own computer and this, that and the other, well, you've no need to even pick a pen up or a bit of paper. Just... Keep the volume down onto your thing and, and ask Alexa or Jeeves or whatever they're on, you know, or Google. I mean, you're supposed to learn it and then revise it. And then when it comes to the test, then put it through the test, you know. Well, I know, uh, um, you know, when I was going through my O-levels, I used to get uh, lots of migraines. I used to get lots of... Uh, just silly things that you you know you get as a kid that d- does sometimes knock you back um and when i did me first uh, times o levels i didn't do very well having said that i thought i'd done enough to pass and um when i think of you know how we used to do things we used to sit in a, a sort of stinking hot classroom doing the likes of shakespeare which realistically when you look at shakespeare um you know I know my my views are are not the same as many, but I do think when you've got to explain every single line of something, it might suggest to anybody else that it hasn't been written as clearly as it possibly could have done. Now, you know, the Shakespeare lovers will shoot me down in flames straight away, but um, I do remember that times were very different. Um, Obviously, if I use a calculator, I can obviously work reasonably quick, uh, but I can do things in my mind. I mean, if I go to a shop, um, I'm actually quite surprised when I go to the till and uh, somebody will be having to use a calculator to add up, you know, and I'm thinking, hang on, I can do this in my mind. And I often get the answer before they do. And then, um, you know, I I, I still think it's better to use your brain, isn't it? Correct. You know, know, I watch all the sport and the darts and all that. On the darts, when them three arrows go in, I deduct it quicker than they put it on, you know, the side. Yeah. You know, they scored, they scored 85 and I subtract it from whatever the figure is. And I'm, I'm quite happy when I'm doing that. In fact, I keep saying, so I, I say it out loud all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, we never had calculators. A calculator? What was that? You know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, there are some things in schools that, you know, teaching you things like I, I've I've left school and this and the other, and I can't remember any time 
that me playing three blind mice on my recorder has ever come in for me to need it. <laughs> Remember, you had, to, you had to learn three blind mice on a recorder. You know, I've never had to use it. You know what I mean? So I've, I've sunken it all in. I've never never had a need for it. You know what I mean? I think I think what they should do, you know, in a class, you'll always get people that are good at one thing but not quite as good as the other, and then you get others good at something else. I think they should... Uh, send send them, you know. Teach them wh- where they want to go. You know, you, you know. You you get somebody who could do a mechano set in about half an hour, and it takes somebody two days. You know, for thinking, or somebody's very good at maths or English, you know, or whatever. You should suss them out the, these teachers and and set them, you know, different types of things. Even though overall you, you've got to learn the basics, which is reading, writing, and arithmetic. But other than that, they should send them in that direction. You no, know, you're, so you're that absolutely they get right. at that. You're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, as a kid, I didn't particularly like uh, physics, chemistry and maths. Uh, having said that, when I think back, the teachers weren't particularly good. I know that um, I didn't get my O-level maths until I think I was about 26 um, it was a lot later when I was going to go to um, go back and go to college. I had to have maths to be able to do the university stuff, you know. And so I did. Yeah. I, I did it with my lad who was then sixteen. Now, uh, what I've realised since is that you know you have two sides to your brain. I'm telling you stuff you probably know anyway. But to our listeners, you know, one side of your your mind is logic, and the other side is imagination. Now. The logic stuff is easy for you to control. So when the teacher says to you, I all write down three fours a 12, you know, and yeah. everybody does the same, and we, yeah. we're okay with that. But if the teacher says, now, I want you to use your imagination, so just uh, try your best to draw a, a picture about, and they give you a topic, and you see where it goes. Yeah. Now, of course, that you can't control. And similarly, there are various types of things that you have to teach in a different way. And of course, when I eventually became a teacher myself, and then you start learning things like, for example, um, you know, each year the levels of passes are governed really by the amount of money that they've got to spend in university places. So, for example, if everybody suddenly wants this year to go to uh, study languages, um, then obviously they'll make those languages more difficult when they do the marking. It has to reflect it because otherwise you could never budget for all the people that want to study, you know. And then the other yeah. thing is, yeah. you know, you can also, if you think about it, I mean, I, I always wanted to be a PE teacher. Now, I really have been good at every sport I've done, give or take, uh, you know, a lot better or a lot worse, but usually competent. And I always would have liked to have been a, a, a sports teacher. First time I did my, um, my GCE, I got uh, four passes, so I had to get a fifth one, which I didn't get straight away. And basically, uh, when I went at the age of, I think I was 21... I went to um, a PE college to do uh, to see if I could join, you know, get, be on the course. Um, I went from Liverpool down to London to St. Mary's at Strawberry Hill. Um, went through with flying colours, did all the, the practicals. I was as good as anybody else on the course. And then when it came to looking at my results, remember, remember I was 21 by that time. The the uh, guy interviewing me didn't even look up from the, the desk. He just said, oh, you haven't got five O-levels. O- Can't let you in. And that's ridiculous. I mean, you, you take somebody like, yeah. um, you know, um, Linford Christie, for example. I would imagine that maybe, you know, he mightn't have got his five O-levels straight away. I don't know. I've not researched it. But there'll be somebody like Linford Christie who is a great sports person, but maybe hasn't got the uh, academic bit. So do we just exactly. lose and those that, people? That's what I was trying to say before. You know, if you see somebody and you think, listen, th- this, this man's a great footballer or he's a great rugby player or he's a great runner. Well, her over there is a great artist. She's fantastic drawing and, and things like that. Then you'll get others who, who do the mathematics within seconds where it's taking us minutes and minutes and minutes. Them's the ones that, 
they should be pushing forward and you shouldn't need five all levels to go and run 100 metres, 200 metres or whatever. It's how good you are on, on the things that you're doing. Yeah. And that's, I've, I've always said that, you know, no, no, I, I take people to where they, where they should be, you know. Well, of course, there, there were no designated PE teachers at the time I was doing my secondary exams uh, because they just didn't exist till the 70s. I mean, they were always like the history teacher just happened to be good at football. So later in the day, when he finished teaching his history, he'd go and take the, the football club or the running club or yeah. something else, you know. And yeah. um, it was a shame, really, because... It meant that for many, many years, I didn't realise, uh, I think I, I became a, a sports teacher when I was about 35, which was, was no, no, it'd be later, be 40, which was ridiculous because all my better, better years of what I could have been passing on um, really had come and gone by that time. Now, to go... Yeah, they, to, they, 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 they pass, they, it's not only passed you by, but it's passed the people that, that you could have seen had a bit of potential, and you could have passed your knowledge on to them to tell them how to make themselves better. Yeah. No, That's not. what I'm saying, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, go forward till, I mean, I went and did my degree when I was uh, 35. So by the time I actually came out uh, to do my finals, um, you know, I remember that it was very, very stressful and we had to remember everything. We didn't have any uh, aids to to use. There was no Google to um, interfere with with uh, anybody else at the time. Um, and so you knew that by the time you passed your exams, you were actually um, you, you were okay. You you'd done you'd done a good job because you'd retained all that information. Whereas now, I mean, people uh, you can see them on Facebook. They know everything. By the time that, um, you know, they switch on the computers, they suddenly feel, if I've read it on Google, it must be true. And I think that's yeah, wrong, you know, because... Right, that, but, that, but then that doesn't sink into them for them to, for them to remember it, you know, to learn it and think it through. That, you know, it's, as I say, it's all right asking Google or um, Alexa or whatever that they are, but unless it sinks in and stays in there... It's just a passing thing that they've just asked the question, they've wrote the answer down, they'll get a tick for it, and away they go. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, of course, I don't know if you get the impression, but you can see people hunting on Facebook, looking for people to make mistakes. I mean, um, I, I don't like spelling mistakes. I have to be honest with you. You know, I, I tend to sort of try and get everything right. But because I've noticed on Facebook, for example, an awful lot of people really do write badly um, and others might come in and start correcting them. Um, I tend not to really get too involved because, quite frankly, I think the fact that somebody wants to tell you something, if it's important to them, then they're not back at school. They're, they're doing something different. But the trouble is, if, you, if enough of them keep writing the wrong things eventually your your spelling and everything um it gets diminished and becomes irrelevant and then people think hang on that word can't be spelt like that and so they get worse at spelling yeah. rather than better at spelling um yeah oh. and there's no there's no grammar in it neither is there you know no commas no apostrophes no you know what i mean yeah people that write you know letters Years ago, you had to have everything in order, you know, where you start with a capital and do all that, and put your comma in where it's needed and full stop and that, or an exclamation mark or a question mark, you know, if it were a question, you're at, you know. Absolutely. That, all gone through wind. Okay, we've got another one coming up. Stand by. This one is right up your street. Right, I'll do. Okay, so this time, um, scientists have accused a global health charity of cherry-picking facts to bolster its argument that drinking even small amounts of alcohol is bad for the heart. The World Heart Federation last week published a hard-hitting pamphlet on the dangers of drinking in which it warned alcohol use increased the risk of 
all the major categories of cardiovascular disease. It cited a 2018 study published in The Lancet, quoting figures on how much higher researchers had found the risks of various cardiovascular conditions to be among drinkers compared to what WHF called non-drinkers. And then, obviously, a little bit later, in fact, their study compared mortality rates and cardiovascular diseases in uh, 600,000 people who drank differing amounts of alcohol. Non-drinkers were excluded. The WHF criticised studies that found light to moderate drinking could benefit the heart, saying... These tended to be observational rather than the gold standard randomised controlled trials. Dr Richard Harding, who helped review sensible drinking messages for the UK government in the mid-1990s, said this campaigning document misrepresents the science and is not evidence-based. Now, I think you can really apply this to virtually everything at the moment. Um, because basically you can see that um, really it's almost like anything that you are reading is being criticised and anything that is not probably something you know to be factual, um, you don't know for sure whether you're reading a myth or, or a truth. It's something that is becoming very, very difficult. You know as well as I do that there are points when drink gets to anybody it doesn't matter who it is it doesn't matter if you're the fittest um, person on the planet if you've got um, a problem and if you really do hit the bottle um, you're likely to, you're likely to have um, obviously very very dark times and it's probably better that you'll get away from drinking too much now I don't drink as much as you we know because we, we well, we've known each other for a while, you know. Um, and, but, but listen, I'm no saint, because when I was playing my rugby, Saturdays was my drinking day. And so I did I did hit the, the, the bottle, and especially um, when I pl- was doing the clubs and I could be the DJ and I didn't pay for any of my drinks, then it doesn't matter. But it did really matter because it was damaging, it was damaging me health. But really... Um, I wasn't thinking about things like that. I mean, obviously, we all got to think differently as we age and as we get through life. But um, does it not get on your nerves when you keep getting criticised? This <coughs> is right. This is wrong. And you can't really get the right information, can you? No, it's the same whether you're eating butter or too many fats and this, that and the other and all this. Lot. Listen, I'd sooner be a few years shorter in my life and be happy and enjoying it <laughs> than being miserable for another five years and, and and I give up drinking or smoking or going for a walk or going out and meeting people. I just want to be happy and I'm happy with the way my lifestyle is. You know, I, I, don't, I don't go out and get blotto. I mean, I have done when I were 18, 19, 20 and all that. You know, I've gone home and thought, God, where were I last night? You know <laughs> what I mean? That type of thing. But as you grow older, you start calming yourself down. I'm out tonight. I'll be out Thursday night and I'll be out Saturday night. And I'll enjoy going, meeting people, having a drink with them, having a bit of karaoke or whatever. And I'd sooner have that and, and live three or four years shorter than live another five, ten, fifteen years and be right miserable. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I certainly do. Um, don't forget, I've yeah, seen... But, but I... every, everything's in moderation, isn't it? Your body tells you, you know... If you were over-exercising, I know you you do the same as me, you have a walk, but if all of a sudden I started trying to climb up mountains and God knows what, well, and your body tells you, your breathing, you know, and you can feel, you know, it's doing you, that's not doing you that much good. Yeah. You know, Yeah. everything in moderation well, is very well, good one, for you. One no thing problem. That, one thing that I have found since, um, obviously, I've been out in Spain, people live differently. There is a common denominator to a lot of people, sadly, who have died. And it's uh, wine. And it seems to be, I don't know, by the way, this is not official. This is not uh, sort of studied. It's just my uh, own observations on people close to me that have uh, died and i've noticed that 
People who drink a huge amount of wine, and I would say anything over a bottle of wine a day is a huge amount of wine. I think they seem to develop um, troubles in the uh, middle of the body. Um, I'm not talking. Yeah, I'm not yeah. talking anything about behaviour because these are all people that have been very, very sensible, very mature, um, nice people. Uh, you know, there've been people that uh, I have really been pleased to have been in their company over the lifetime. But I have known people who tended to phone up, and uh, when they phoned up, I knew I was on the end of the telephone listening to somebody who was talking gibberish to me for quite a long time yeah. and i had to make a yeah, yeah. you had to make a decision over certain ones because obviously if it's your family and if it's somebody close to you um then they obviously need to talk to somebody otherwise they wouldn't have bothered phoning you you know um but yeah. i do think there is something socially which tends to be i don't know accepted as being like if you drink wine it's acceptable you can't be some sort of um, riffraff like, you know, people will judge maybe somebody drinking beer. There is, seems to be a social Name. stigma. Well, no, no names, no pack drill, because basically this is a very general thing. I, I, I'm only yeah, observing yeah. that beer yeah. seems to be a drink for working class, shall we say. And um, yeah. the wine seems to be, and the spirits seem to be more for the upper class uh, or people who want to see themselves as being upper class, you know. Um, do, yeah, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm, you know, I'm only a beer drinker. I've never drank a spirit in my life. Oh. But I've tried one and I think it was whiskey or something. Well, that, no, I couldn't drink that for love no money. I've tried uh, a glass of white wine. It just tasted like vinegar to me. And... I think the only time I ever had one glass of wine was when I was with Joe Royal. He used, is it that Matthias or something in that funny shirt bottle? Yeah, yeah, Matthias Rose. And, and that were all right. And I could, I could, you know, I could, that were all right on my palate, but all the other drinks, and I have, a, I don't know, about four or five, six pints on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Everything's in moderation. You know, I don't. I never. You'll never see me stagger out and fall on floor outside a pub or inside a pub. I know where my limits are. You know, and and, and that's where it should stay. But people, you know, that, that become alcoholics is, or even I know people that uh, they say they're not alcoholics, but they're alcohol dependent. Well, I'm you know, thinking, and that's 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 the, that's the step in between uh, becoming an alcoholic. I'm thinking more of uh, health and the way certain drinks are perceived to be acceptable. You know, it's like um, I, I've had one friend who was, uh, was in a duo with me and he could have 12 or 13 or 14 pints a night and uh, then he would drive home. And um, I think these were pre-breathalyzer days. But, I mean, looking back, yeah. I mean, that was really a little bit of a, a dodgy situation. But... Um, I'm thinking of other people who have drunk a lot of wine and spirits over the lifetime because of obviously the, the people they mix with and what they do, that sort of thing. But it's the health angle that um, once you get that big beer belly or that, um, well, I mean, beer is an easier one to spot. Whereas I think with the, the wine. The bulbous nose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the a very bulbous nose. You can tell them, as, you know, rosy, really purple cheeks and a, and a big red bulbous nose. Yeah. You can tell them a mile up. Yeah. You know? And it's sad because they don't see it themselves. And then. Um, as I say, with some, especially female friends and relatives and, and people that I've known closely, um, they've always enjoyed the wine and, um, you know, they've been great people. Um, but sadly, yeah. I don't think they were doing the right service to their body. And uh, it seems to have been a common denominator between, you know, but you don't really see articles ever written about wine. Do not drink too much wine. The beer drinker, you'll yeah. always catch that. You'll always get these people described as drunken louts. But, you know, if you have a drunken table party, all sort of, you know, acting stupid in these other uh, circles, they don't really get the same press, do they? No, no, I don't. You're right there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, as, as you say, it's a class sort of thing. 
you know, working class always used to drink beer and stouts and stuff like that. And then you, you got your, your, your upper enchalance that wanted wine, darling, and all that lot. And then you get your spirit drinkers as well. You know. And, of course, at the moment, you know, we've got this uh, ridiculous situation with Boris Johnson and his parties and everything. Um, I mean, you know, those type of gatherings probably are certainly rowdy and bawdry, but I would imagine they don't get described as drunken louts, where probably there will no. be the, the drunken louts. And I mean, I've been in in all sorts of receptions where I've been playing me my guitar or whatever, and you've thought, oh, what a, what a load of yobbos. And there have been people who have got good jobs, and, you know, it's just that uh, you don't see that correlation the same, no. do you? Okay, well that's interesting. Well, years ago, years ago, it was the hooray Henrys, wasn't it? You know, they, they got a lot more wages, and then they just sort of drunk to oblivion. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. And then, unfortunately, um, it is it it is the the hier- hierarchy really at work. Okay, I'll find you another one. Stand by. You like this next one, or you like this? Can't wait. Okay, I'm looking forward to this. It should be a bit of steam coming from the other end of the phone. Okay, I like uh, reading a guy called Little John. Um, He often has these really toxic things that he's describing, but he writes them in a nice way. Uh, Well, for me, I think it's a nice way. And he writes uh, in today's paper, Today, China is the world's largest manufacturer of automobiles and the Chinese are well on the way to overtaking America as an economic powerhouse. Um, uh, Right. Uh, As an efficient means of transport, bicycles proved about as progressive as doing the doggy paddle down the Yangtze mouse style. Sadly, it's a lesson lost on the mutton-headed communists who appear to be running 21st century Britain. Under cover of COVID, they've turned our city centres into crazy golf courses intended to frustrate freedom of movement by giving priority to lycra-clad lunatics on racing bikes and suicide jockeys on e-scooters. Transport policy has been captured by single-issue anti-car fanatics, hell-bent on bankrupting businesses and causing the maximum possible inconvenience to the travelling public. Genghis Khan's London looks as if it has been hit by a cluster of neutron bombs which has left the building and the bike lane intact and laid waste to all commercial human activity. Now, I think that's great what he's writing. And, of course, he's having a go, especially at the bike lanes. And there is a new uh, law that's coming in where, basically, if you see anybody, as you turn in your car, and if you see anybody waiting to cross the road... You have to wait. I mean, you could be there the best part of an hour, apparently. Yeah, if, if everybody's just crossing the road at the same time, you, you parts up forever. It's a nonsense. I mean, don't get me going on these bikes. I mean, do me if I've had... Remember, I were on them grumpy old men, weren't I, uh, on that show, grumpy old men. Uh, and the first ones they brought up on the show were, were cyclists. Oh, that's all I need. I could be here forever. But... <laughs> Yeah, they're putting bike lanes in, right. When when they're on a bike, they don't pay any road tax, they don't pay any insurance, yeah? So if they come down the side of your car, scratch it with the pedal, you've got no comeback on them. Now, people say, yeah, but I have a car at home and I pay the road tax. No, I have two cars and a scooter, but I have to pay the road tax on all three, so you should be able to pay on the thing, and they should have third-party insurance on, on, on bikes. Now, if I'm driving my car or I'm driving my scooter, I have got to have wing mirrors on to see what's coming up behind me. On these racing bikes, you don't have to have anything. You know, hang on, where's these laws coming in from? They're not paying anything towards it. Well, They're probably making the, the, the lycra things and then with helmets with ponytails hanging off back and God knows what. No, do me a favor. Well, if, and these these new things, these electric things that they stand up with, 
Did they go nearly as fast as a, as a, as a, a normal scooter? Well, they come flying past you a million miles an hour, and they're allowed to go on pavement and the road. So, so how does that work? So just to go over what you were saying, there's um, somebody in the United Kingdom wrote. I want to know when it will become law that cyclists have to pass a test to obtain a license to use the roads, pay a road tax and have insurance. They should not be exempt Correct. from these issues. Um, the motorist has to adhere to these conditions, so why not them? So um, that's just to endorse exactly what you're saying. Now, let's try and think what's really going on. Now, I tend to um, like, to, I love to, to look at the angles. Because, quite frankly, um, when, you know, when we've got all this stuff going on around us, I think sometimes um, people are now hell-bent on not seeing what the real problem is. And I think there might be, I'm only saying there might be, there might be some sinister motive behind all this. Now, my first kind thought would be, great, get everybody out on a bike, Get them all, you know, having uh, the the cycling and uh, the walking and everything else to keep fit, keep the society healthy. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, so that's the kind thought. Now, the nastier side of me thinks to itself, hang on, uh, because I've read what today Little John was writing about and because I can relate to it, I'm thinking to myself, hang on, this makes a little bit more sense uh, sense to me because... If you're clogging up all the centres of where people want to do their business by bikes everywhere and, you know, slowing the process down and making it difficult, I wonder whether it's anything to do with what they've learned from China, where they know that the bikes are everywhere and it's taken them ages to get over the problems of maybe too many bikes. Maybe they're trying to do the same to us here because it seems that they're trying to lock us down and give us all sorts of problems that shouldn't have never exist. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you've seen uh, Benidorm with the roundabout going right through it is is a, a cycle lane. Doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah. It, how does this work? You're going up the left. Yeah, well, in, 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 in Spain, we drive on right. So we're going up the right and then um, coming down on the right on that way. So they decided to put a cycle lane in the middle of them, as you said, and then you come to a roundabout and cycle lane goes through it. But say they want to turn off right or turn off left, they, they don't have to have mirrors on them so they can see if there's a car coming because the, the cyclists are in the middle of both lanes. So whichever way they're going to turn, they, they've got to they've got to go past the traffic that's coming up alongside of them. How does that work? Well, these Who's bright idea with that. Well, these people who get the lycra shorts on and go out and often form a little peloton, or sometimes even a peloton of up to about twenty bikes. Um, now we know in Spain that everybody has got to give them certain amount of uh, space, and you can't go well, over the five, lines. Five meters, yeah, you've got to overtake them at one. But that's the best. It says you must give them one point five meters. But when they fall abreast, that means you'll be on the wrong side of the road. Well, where you know I mean? where we are up here, we we have a nice flat coastline. So basically, they've uh, put the cycle lanes in. And, of course, people also walk along these. So if you're walking up... Now, obviously, if you've got your earphones in, then you won't hear anything. So I, I'm not... I don't wear my earphones. I always go out and think about things. So, you know, I don't really listen to music. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing and I'm thinking about certain things. Now, very often... Um, We've got a lot of Dutch people over here and you don't actually hear them till they're actually alongside you. They don't ring the bell or anything. So no, they we, don't have bells on them. <laughs> We've got to have a horn on the car. They don't have to have a bell on. And so, I mean, that's bad enough. But then you've got the peloton coming madly towards you. And you know damn well that if one of you goes the wrong, the wrong way and you end up in the same lane together, you're going to have a, har a really harrowing experience. So we've got that. Yeah. And then, uh, as uh, Little John was writing about, the guys on these scooters. I mean, my goodness. 
by the time you're putting six inches already on your height and you've got your helmet on and you're hurtling towards somebody who's walking not just normally, some of these people must feel tremendously threatened because these guys do not slow down and they don't really seem to give a monkeys about whether they actually bump into you. Um, in fact, no, I, I, exactly. I, I would they're, almost say some of them... as fast as my scooter. You know, they, they can get up to nearly, nearly 20, 30 mile an hour and they're going along a pavement where old people are walking, having a look out to sea or whatever, and, and they, they let them go on the pavements and the roads and they're in and out of traffic. Oh, oh there's not been hundreds killed, I don't know. Well, there have, there have been um, quite a few killed. I can't say hundreds because I don't know figures. But, you know, um, there are certainly incidents. I mean, we know um, Eric's late wife, Liz, was knocked down by a bike. And, you know, that certainly uh, changed her life. And, I mean, it was just uh, it's just so ridiculous. OK, well, we've got... Yeah, but they, but, but they won't do him for dangerous driving because you don't need a licence. Yeah, and and that's I mean? and that's if they stop, and that's if they, if you can catch them. Well, exactly. Yeah, they've no they've no registration plates on on back, so you can see who it were. You know, it, when they, we knock somebody over, and it's a life changing experience for them. You know what I mean? It, it's just ridiculous. Let's just start on a a, a level playing field. You know. They go through red lights willy-nilly. They, they just whip round corners, as you say. No, they brought in in Spain. No, that if we come to a junction and somebody stood there waiting to cross as you're turning in left, you've got to wait for them. No, hang on a minute. How does that work? They're supposed to wait till roads clear. They're crossing a road from a pavement. You know. I think not only that, oh. Neil, but you know, it's like when you go into a shop and you're there and you're being served and then suddenly the attendant or you know the, the the whoever's looking after you suddenly starts talking to somebody else and treats you as if you know yeah. you you're not important you're not there yeah. we pay f exactly. we, we help to pay these roads um in our road fund and all the other taxes we pay and sadly um this has got silly OK, look, we've only got two minutes to go, so I'm just going to All quickly... Right. I'll give you the quick... Um, just a rundown and a comment. A, a woman brutally stabbed to death during a horrific double killing in Maida Vale uh, was a mature student of Moroccan descent with two teenage sons. A devastated relative speaking to newspapers have confirmed that she was 43... And they said she was born in the UK, came from a large family of North African descent based in the Maida Vale area. It's understood she was studying at university and she was killed by a knifeman during a horrific double killing yesterday. Um, apparently, uh, you know, this guy went for her and bystanders had tried to stop the knifeman after he pounced on the woman during the school run yesterday morning, stabbing her more than 10 times. And the uh, savage attack was only halted when a passing motorist ran over the 41-year-old attacker on the pavement. He sadly also hit the woman victim. I mean, basically, how would... I mean, that was must be awful to be faced with that. Exactly. I mean, Maida Vale as well. That's serious posh place, isn't it? Maida Vale in London. Gordon Bennett. You know, well, really. Well, yeah, so let's put it this way. So say the woman would have survived these these 10 stabbings, right, and and the car run him over and he got killed. It should be the guy who's trying to save him with his car, save the woman from getting killed, he'd be done for manslaughter or something like that. Well, I think so. That's... Once he's finished with her, does he go off to somebody else and start stabbing them? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it looks... The law's an ass. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Neil, thankfully, we've come to the end of um, this particular hour. It's, um, I mean, there's always so much to talk about, and thankfully we haven't really discussed uh, the obvious one because, really, it's going to be discussed everywhere. So um, let's hope that we're all safe and right. sound this time next week, Neil. Okay, Rinks, no problem. Okay. I'll speak to you soon. Catch you then. Cheers, Paul. Cheers then. Thanks, Ta Neil. Bye-bye.